I think it's pretty safe to assume that we're all fans of HubSpot here at Inbound, but you have never heard the origin story of some of the brand's most important content, its network of podcasts and videos. This story starts more than a decade ago and includes characters who went on to become big marketing names that you follow today. Names like Dave Gerhardt, Mike Volpe, Gene Hopkins, Ellie Meerman, Sam Balter, and Megan Keeney Anderson. I'm Lindsay Chapkama, CEO and co-founder of Casted, the first and only marketing platform built for brand podcasts. And I will be your guide on this special episode of the Casted Podcast. So join me on this journey as we explore the common thread, the through line that differentiated not only HubSpot, but really all those marketing leaders and the brands they went on to build. The concept of humanizing the brand is not new, nor is the idea of harnessing expert perspectives in content marketing to do so. What continues to evolve, though, is how how we're able to do that. Originally, we were limited to print. So many of us have seen the case studies about John Deere and Kraft and other leading brands that pioneered the space by appealing to their audiences by harnessing knowledge from experts to provide valuable information and, in turn, build trust, connection, relationships between that brand and the audience. But then, in the early 2000s, the digital age of marketing emerged. And along with the advancement of business websites, also came the surge of brand blogs. Marketers now had never before seen access to our audiences, and businesses were able to further humanize their brands by publishing content, not only on behalf of the brand, but also on behalf of the people within it. Actual people writing actual content and publishing it to provide value to the actual people in their audiences. Human to human. But then, as our internet connections got a little more stable, and our audiences demanded even more from their beloved brands, some ventured into other formats to accompany that written word. They saw the value early on, years ago, with prioritizing podcasts and video shows as important parts of their content strategies. And the marketers behind those shows, they took that perspective with them as superpowers, unique perspectives that others didn't have over the last decade. One example, you guessed it, bringing it all back to the beginning here, HubSpot. The content powerhouse launched its video show, I don't know if you remember this, HubSpot TV back in 2008. While that might not sound that long ago to some of you, but for some perspective, it was just one year after the iPad was first released, less than two years after YouTube was purchased by Google. So many of our smartphones at the time weren't really all that smart because they couldn't play video and our home internet wasn't even stable enough to really stream video. But That didn't stop audiences, including me, from downloading each episode and watching it anyway. Seriously, I have very vivid memories of downloading videos and watching them so that I could learn from HubSpot TV. But here's how the man behind the show, Mike Volpe, remembers it. He led marketing at HubSpot and eventually became their CMO. But before that, he was the co-founder of HubSpot TV and eventually the host of their very first podcast, The Growth Show. 
you know, HubSpot, which at the time was a small company no one had heard of. It's a, it's a little different now for a lot of marketers. Many salespeople have heard of it now. Uh, but at the time, we were trying to build a name for ourselves and build a market and sort of create a movement. And we had done a lot of blogging. We had a really successful free tool called Website Grader. But we hadn't done much in either audio or video aside from some webinars. And around that time was when live streaming a video was sort of just getting going. It wasn't like today where you have a YouTube app and you hit a button or Instagram and you hit a button and right. they're on like live streaming. That was not how stuff worked <laughs> then. But it was like sort of, there were a couple like dedicated platforms like Quick and like Blip TV and I'm trying to remember like what they were, but like people were figuring it out. But I remember we had to buy this like special server and like there was like it was like hard work to figure this out. But it was like at the point it was like you actually could do it. Mm -hmm. And for the first time you could actually have a live video show. So not recording a video and putting it up, but like a live show that people watch synchronously. And I think that the rise of Twitter was a key thing that fed into it because we used Twitter as a key discussion point during the show. So many people would watch the video stream live and comment on it and talk about it. And we would ask questions, we'd get questions from the audience and sort of go back and forth. And so I think that the rise of this sort of real time kind of discussion, social media platforms like Twitter fed into sort of like everything was happening. So in any event, it was, it was kind of just one of those things where we just like wanted to try it. There's a woman at the time who was newer at HubSpot named Karen Rubin. And she sort of thought this was an interesting idea at the same time that in marketing, my team and I were trying to figure out what to do more with video and how to be more interactive. And, you know, it's sort of like, you know, chocolate meets peanut butter kind of coming together when <laughs> Karen grabbed me. And I was like, great, like we should do a show. And, you know, in classic way, it was like, it was like, so you go figure all this out and let me know. And who else do you think should be on the show? And she was like, well, I thought it should be me. And I was like, great, why don't we do the show together? And we just kind of started. And the first couple episodes uh, were frankly terrible and super embarrassing. But by doing it, we got better and better over time. And by watching ourselves, like watching the recording of it, you're like, ooh, like you cringe a few times and like you get better. And the next time you sort of, you ask questions in a better way, you just yeah. you become more engaging and things like that. And we iterated with over time. And I, I think we did something like 200 episodes. That's crazy. So it was, it was years that we did it for. And something that grew, not a giant following, but I would say a really, really loyal following. Yeah. And I would, we, Karen and I would go to marketing conferences and stuff and people would stop us and say like, hey, like, you're Mike Volpe. I watched that show or Hey, you're Karen. Like I watched that show. And so you knew it was having an effect. It was hard to measure in those days, but you knew you were having an effect and it definitely had a, a small, but very passionate audience. Myself included. Like I was a first time marketing director and I was, I mean, I learned a lot, you know, I mean, there, you knew your audience very well and there might not have been millions of me, but there was me. And I, I went on, you converted me. I went on to convince the president of my company to buy HubSpot. And it's funny because the show wasn't about the product, right? No, um, not at all. About marketing and the effect that we were trying to have with, again, the whole inbound marketing movement forced us to become the world's best case study in inbound marketing. And that meant by doing inbound marketing, not just through blogging, but in other yeah. ways. And that show was, you know, while you can argue with the quality of it and all sorts <laughs> of things of it, it was, it was pioneering in its time. For doing, for doing something live, 
for being such like a micro topic kind of show, mm -hmm. uh, like very, very focused within marketing and like a certain community, even within marketing. It was live for folks that were local in Boston. We actually, we had a live studio audience too. It wasn't big, but people would come into the office and like sit down in these seats, like in front of Karen and I. Wasn't it like uh, Friday afternoons and you'd like grab yeah, a beer and watch you do the show? It was a four o'clock Friday. And we would also get, we also knew that. So a lot of people like you would watch it. And we also know that like marketing teams would watch it together. Oh. Marketing agencies would watch it together. We know it's because it was four o'clock East Coast. We know some West Coast companies would do um, like lunch. Uh, but then like the marketing team would sit there and like watch the show and then like talk about a couple of the things we talked about. Like, oh, maybe we should work on this part of our blog or like whatever. And so it was one of those things where it never, the actual numbers that you could measure were never these giant, giant numbers but it had, there were so many stories like yours of, oh, I learned so much in that show that made me trust you and Karen and maybe trust mm -hmm. the company, maybe follow the company. And then you kind of keep pulling that thread and all of a sudden you're like convincing the CEO that you want to buy this product, right? And there was a lot of that activity that happened qualitatively. Quantitatively, it was always really hard to measure, but quantitatively, there was a ton of that that happened. Ellie Meerman was there for it. She was one of the first marketing hires at HubSpot in 2007. In fact, the first hire after the CMO at the time. And she saw it grow from a pipe dream into a source of growth for the brand and for the people there. I mean, that was a huge part of our culture for the years that it went on. Uh, I forget the actual dates, but I remember, uh, you know, I was really close with everyone who was involved, I suppose. And there, it kind of started, not exactly as a joke, but as this almost like a pipe dream that Mike Volpe and Karen Rubin, we were, you know, we would go out and celebrate uh, various events and milestones of the company. And um, they talked about starting a show together and then it actually became a reality at a certain point. I think, you know, you joke about something enough that it actually has to become real at a certain point. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, HubSpot TV was born and I was an avid viewer. Uh, I was, uh, you know, always in the front row, went to every single episode if, as long as I wasn't out of the office. And so maybe it's not obvious, but this was actually filmed live uh, and streamed live from uh, one of our kind of bigger lounges, conference rooms, whatever you want to call it. And it was huge. I mean, every Friday, I think it was at four, everybody would grab a drink, settle in. You know, we'd have, we had like the real desk and the lights and all of the whole, the whole story. And it was a huge part of our culture. And obviously we pushed, uh, it was a big part of our marketing effort around that time too. But I think it ended up becoming a bigger aspect of our kind of internal brand uh, and culture efforts uh, more than anything else. The HubSpot team saw the value of video and audio content they were creating early on from a brand perspective and from a culture perspective. Even with a powerhouse industry-leading blog like HubSpot's, the intimacy of putting voices and faces to the brand offered a personal connection that blogging just never would. It's one of those things where it makes a brand impression on people in a way that blog articles don't, audio and video. You read a blog article and you're sort of vaguely aware of who wrote it, maybe. And so maybe you know the brand that it's from or what you know site it was on or things like that. But you don't connect with the author in the way that with podcasting or video or webinars that you really connect with the presenter in a new way. And 
I think that that more personal connection was a key aspect of how we as a company connected with lots of marketers. Like some of it was these great blog articles and free tools and some of it was the product and all these in the book that we had, like all these different things that we did as a company. But I think HubSpot TV was an important sort of piece of that whole puzzle because that personal connection that a lot of people felt with Karen and I, and frankly, that Karen and I felt with a lot of people, mm-hmm. it was a two way thing. Cause we'd have, you know, people that watch the show a lot and would tweet in questions every week. We would have people that had watched every episode, but maybe after 20 would then, you know, write in a question or something, you know, people would give us top, they would email us and give us topics. They want us to talk about things like that. It was definitely this, there was a community around it, which was really cool. And a lot of it had to do with more of a, a personal connection than sort of just like a, a brand and kind of dry written content connection. Testing new channels and new formats was something that felt central to HubSpot as an education vehicle because, well, it was central to their culture. So I think it was at the time when live streaming was just becoming very popular uh, in a way that we don't talk about streaming now. This That was live streaming. It was a very business version of it all. Just because there was no, no other word for it, right? Like that's <laughs> right. just literally what it like, was. Literally the company called live stream was what we used. And uh, we... It was, I think, very much in line with how we approached marketing in general, where we didn't wait for other people to try it, right? We saw that there was this new way of reaching people, and it was very much in line with how we wanted to share content and education and put ourselves out there and put a human face on the brand and all of that. And, you know, there weren't a lot of examples of companies doing this, but we wanted to try it. And so it, it fit really well with that. I think there was a lot of energy internally around that sort of thing as well. And it, there was just so much momentum around it. It was a huge part of our culture. And it, there were even kind of crazy points where we had a lot of special guests. Like the viewership really started to get bigger and bigger. And we used it as a, I guess, a launching off point where we could get one of the founders of Twitter on the show. Um, we even had MC Hammer once. Like, it just seems ridiculous that these things even happened and I was there for them. And then of course, in the moment, it just, it felt like our brand was blowing up. And of course, the HubSpot brand was growing. But, uh, but yeah, this, this you know, little show, this thing that you know, no other companies were really doing at the time became a, a really unique aspect of our, our content marketing. Gene Hopkins was there too, as a lot of this played out at HubSpot from 2009 to 2012, as HubSpot's vice president of marketing at the time. And she saw the impact the show had on HubSpot's growth. What we got out of it was a level of excitement, a level of excitement, not only for the audience, because what we were teaching and talking about, I mean, marketing is a discipline, but it's also an art and looking for those stories. And Karen would call together the different topics that were happening in the industry. I remember when the the iPad was launched by Apple and Karen had so many things to say about iPad, like how did they come up with that? (laughs) And it was, and and Mike, you know, just turned bright red kind of talking about it, but there was such good mojo between the two of them that it was an excellent choice of casting, excellent choice of guests, and they made it, it had a personality and it helped to define what HubSpot was. And when you think of HubSpot, you usually smile because the the whole aspect of it implies joy 
and that's what marketers are looking for. We're looking for personality. We're looking for joy in our lives. Mike and his team spent years creating that magnetic brand that is so loved and respected by its audience. And of course, it included more than just HubSpot TV, but... It was that pioneering and inventive spirit in the early video streaming days that also helped them create one of the earliest brand podcasts, The Growth Show. Having already tested the waters with early audio formats of HubSpot TV, they didn't shy away from the opportunity that podcasting offered to reach a new audience for their brand. We had grown at that point as a brand that we were relatively well-known within the market. Uh, And what we wanted to do was have more of a connection with the CEO. So it's interesting that you say your early exposure to HubSpot was marketer to marketer. Mm -hmm. It was Karen and Mike talking to Lindsay about marketing stuff and that inspired you to go to your CEO. And I can play that conversation forward. The CEO is like, I've never heard of HubSpot before. What are you Mm -hmm. talking about? You were well-educated on it and made a convincing sales pitch as to why you should buy it. Where we started to get to in 2015 was well, we now had some products to sell the sales teams. And so we're selling into marketing, really well-known in marketing, starting to get well-known in sales. But as you're becoming a platform for the whole company, we wanted executive level exposure. We wanted CMO, CRO, CEO, COO, C-level to have heard of and know what HubSpot is, at least some high level and have a positive brand affiliation with it. And so what we decided to do was say, okay, those folks have less time to read blogs. They're not going to go to webinars. Content specifically about marketing is not that interesting to them. What's interesting to them? Growth. And who do they want to hear from? They want to hear from their peers. So the growth show was a show about growth. And it was all the interviews were only with C-level executives, SVP, you know, et cetera. But it was like very senior people. And we had some amazing guests in the first 10 or 20. We had the the founder of like Tough Mudder, like one of those race, you know, things, which yep. is just an interesting story about how they built the brand and things like that. We had a CMO from Slack on. We had, you know, count like a bunch of like CEO, CMO, CRO type of folks from really interesting companies and brands and just had them tell their story. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, me interviewing them in most cases. We had a couple other po- people that did some hosting as well. And that was something that, again, it was about, what's the right format of content and type of content to reach that C-level person. And it was really the first thing we had done at HubSpot that was meant to reach the C-level. And that's something where that five years later, that show is still around. I think it's Mm -hmm. on its fourth producer now. And and I think it's like, it's it's done really well because it was different and it was unique. This is when another one of your marketing favorites found himself at HubSpot doing what so many of us know him for, podcasting. Who was it? I'm Dave Gerhardt. I'm the chief marketing officer at Privy. That's right. Did you know that Dave Gerhardt's side hustle of hosting a podcast about the Boston tech scene actually led to a serendipitous role at HubSpot as he helped Mike create and launch The Growth Show? So I started my first podcast in March of 2014, and it was called Tech in Boston. I was not even working in marketing at the time, but I wanted to... Like it wasn't actually a marketing endeavor. It was, I wanted to start a little bit of a like side project of, of my own. And I kind of always wanted to start something, a blog, a newsletter. And I was just like, you know what? I, I got really into podcasts and I was listening to them all the time at a time when it was like, you know, it's not even that long ago, but 2014, 
I'd be on the bus riding home, listening to a podcast. And I'd, you know, talk to someone like, oh yeah, like, what do you do on the bus? I listen to podcasts. And so he's like, what's a podcast? Like, how do you even do that? Like, do you need like a USB cable? Like, and do you have to hook it up to your computer? And so I, I was listening to a podcast called This Week in Startups. And I was really into startups at the time. And through that show, it was cool, but it was always, always like about uh, West Coast entrepreneurs on the West Coast. And so I was like, I'm in the Boston tech scene. There's a lot happening here. Like, why hasn't anybody, and I, I tweeted out, like, why hasn't anybody started a podcast about like Boston, you know, entrepreneurs in Boston? And two two people responded uh, and they're like, oh, you should just start that. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll figure it out. And so I figured out how to start a podcast and 60 episodes later it became this thing that I did in addition to my job. And it was this amazing side project that, got me connected to like 60 entrepreneurs and CEOs in Boston. I built an email list of four or 5,000 people. I learned how to sell sponsorships, learned how to do audio. And, and it was, it was such a cool project for me because it didn't feel like a podcast. It felt like a, I built a little mini business and it was from that podcast that I actually got my job at HubSpot. Mike Volpe, who was the CMO at HubSpot at the time, they wanted to start a podcast at HubSpot. And so he hired me cause he knew me locally to like run their podcast. So I helped them launch the growth show. The success of The Growth Show is undeniable. It's been a huge success for HubSpot in building its brand, and you often see and hear other shows pointing to The Growth Show as a point of inspiration, a muse for their own foray into podcasting. And it's also opened the doors for more marketers to give their unique voice and perspective to the HubSpot brand. Megan Keeney Anderson, HubSpot's current vice president of marketing and current host of The Growth Show, took over the show a few years ago. I think I raised my hand for it. I had been so closely involved with the show. And mm-hmm. um, when there was an opening for a host, I had I had actually come in as sort of a guest host on a couple of episodes. So mm-hmm. it was sort of a natural extension. And I do remember my first few episodes. I remember I had one with Easy Cater, um, which is a local company in Boston. Yep. Stefania Mollet there uh, was amazing. And I remember I had an interview with Patagonia that I cried about afterwards. It was so good. And I had an interview with ClassPass early into their days. And those are sort of the first season that I got into it. And it's funny, like you you remember your first season's episodes really well. And now I listen back at those and I'm like, oh, I've come a little bit. I've come, I've come a ways <laughs> when it comes to hosting skills because yeah. I was clearly nervous in those, in those interviews. But yeah, it, so I think it's, you kind of get into it and then you evolve over time and you learn things about what works for questions and how to create space in an interview for someone, how to adapt. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's been a really fun, interesting sort of personal development for me. The show has, of course, continued to grow and evolve over the years since its inception. Sam Balter managed the marketing strategy at HubSpot's network of podcasts from 2018 until just a few months ago in early 2020 and saw a lot of this evolution firsthand. When I just started working on the podcast, The Grow Show was going through a period doing a turnaround season. So they did the entire season focused on turnaround stories. So this is a much different format than, say, a lot of your standard interviews. The format was a lot more narrative. It brought in kind of a wider range of stories and and changed a lot in terms of the basic interview format. 
And then that kind of continued over where you saw higher production episodes for future seasons, continuing to bring in kind of more diverse talent and more diverse guests, which was great. And then now it seems like even from what I'm seeing come out of there, they're pivoting away from even focusing on kind of the biggest names in business or trying to find the thought leaders that everybody generally books to find these very interesting side stories, very unique kind of companies. Like we had seen a good focus on HubSpot focusing on B corporations. Mm -hmm. So companies that are committed to doing good, but are not necessarily nonprofits. So I think like things like that were really interesting where it might not be something even that the listener can, can notice right off the bat. It's not in the description of the season that, oh, this season is going to bring in a, you know, diverse voices from around the industry. It's just like embedded nicely within the content. Uh, so I think in terms of it, you started to see, at least over the period that I was there, the producer, Matt Brown, did a great job of bringing in a lot more of those narrative elements and doing a lot more to kind of increase the production quality of the show. From their experimental marketing with The Growth Show, it was clear to HubSpot that podcasting would create a lot of really unique opportunities to connect with their different audiences. So they started experimenting with other shows. So when I was there, HubSpot had experimented with a few different shows. Like The Growth Show had been going on for at least five years. We had just started a new kind of more broad awareness show, Weird Work, that I had been hosting where I interviewed people with weird jobs. Uh, And then we also had a show that was very educational focused called Skill Up that the first season was about SEO. And I think looking at HubSpot, one of the great things was that each show addressed a distinct need and kind of a distinct audience. Whereas Weird Work was a good way for us to get brand recognition, to build brand affinity, to kind of have this interesting voice in the market and gain a lot of exposure there. You know, you could see Growth Show as kind of a thing for thought leadership, a lot of like lifting up our core brand values. But I mean, one of the things that a lot of people come to HubSpot for is to learn educational, educational things and get better at sales or marketing or SEO or whatever it is. So SkillUp provided an avenue for that. So I think one of the great things was just seeing how HubSpot was tailoring shows to different audiences. HubSpot has and will continue to create shows with the audience and purpose in mind. So since the growth show, that, that was our anchor show. And that was basically, you know, I described the problem it was trying to solve. We wanted to be a very brand oriented show. So putting out our editorial point of view into the world through the guests that we chose and the stories that we told kind of your classic kind of brand podcast. Then we expanded into Weird Work, actually, I think it was the second podcast. And Weird Work was an experiment in a mass appeal show. So really further removed from the brand, not talking about necessarily business or HubSpot in particular, talking about just the, the strange jobs that people find and pursue and, and really a love affair of like career development in a atypical way. And that was designed to be a play for just how big can we, how big of an audience can we get if we broaden out away from this niche of of b2b companies can we get a larger audience that was an experiment in that then we did an experiment uh, with our show skill up which was about we had heard that google was going to put more emphasis into kind of transcribing podcasts for search and surfacing them better in search engine results and so we said, all right, well, well, what does a search-friendly podcast look like? You know, we knew it didn't look like the growth show because 
people aren't necessarily just searching, unless you're searching for the guests, you're not really searching for the topics that we're covering on the growth show. So then we went back to our roots of the blog and said, okay, let's do how-to content. Mm -hmm. Let's do content that is designed to answer questions and help people learn to to pick up new skills. And that was the idea behind Skill Up. So and then we've, we've expanded to, we've got a, a podcast in Germany for specifically for that audience. We've got um, Culture Happens, which is a podcast out of our culture team. It talks about like how you build a corporate culture and build, so pursue that. And each, I think the most important thing is that like, we didn't really set out to have a network. Each podcast has a distinct problem that it's trying to solve and or a distinct theory that it's chasing down. So every new show that we add, we hope it will teach us something. We hope it'll help attract an audience that's distinct, mm-hmm. but we also hope it'll teach us something about podcasting. One of the greatest things about working as a marketer for a company that sells marketing software is mm-hmm. everything is meta, right? Like you, yes. everything you do is both done for your audience and also done to help you learn something new that you can then in turn go teach your audience. And so... Um, a lot of our evolution uh, of the podcast network has been through experiments like that. HubSpot has harnessed the amazing voices of experts to constantly increase its connection with its audiences. You might be wondering though, but why podcasting? Why did a company known for its amazing blog, its website grader, its top-notch eBooks and more go on to invest heavily in podcasting, especially so long ago? It's a great way to reach people. And I think, again, it's like it can be used, podcasting can be used in a lot of different ways. So you can use it to add more personality to the brand. You can use it to sort of get um, a deeper connection with a smaller audience. That was kind of like the HubSpot TV kind of podcast model. You can use it to reach folks that are harder to reach through other means. Indeed. Whether you're a small business or a huge global company like HubSpot, podcasts are an amazing way to reach people and to connect with them. We've gotten a ton out of our shows. I think there's always the thing that you're initially going after. And then there are all these epiphenomenal, like nice consequences that happen. So your North Star is typically listenership and the audience you're going after. And you want to see that growing year over year. You want to see the audience come back when you break for a season Uh, You want to see the engagement rates stay high all the way through. That is the beautiful thing about podcasts is when people sit down to listen to a podcast, they listen all the way through. It it is not, you're getting their attention, their full attention in many cases for 20, 30, 40 minutes. uh, And that's so rare there. So certainly those listenership and growth numbers are what we're looking for. We're looking for distribution and, and access to a broader audience. But there are all sorts of, secondary benefits to doing podcasts. And and for me, one of the biggest ones has been for the growth show in particular, it's created access points to some of the most incredible business leaders and stories that I've ever come across. But it's more than that. A brand success story today requires understanding your audience, connecting with your audience, engaging with your audience, letting them in on something special, real, exclusive, authentic, These marketing rock stars knew that at HubSpot, and they carried it with them into the brands that they've gone on to serve over the last decade. It's those that follow this gut instinct to connect with and build trust with their audiences that are defining what success looks like today for brands around the world and into the future. 
HubSpot is just one example of a strong brand that has leveraged shows, audio and video, as a major part of its content strategy. But it's a pretty darn good example, not only because of the brand and the content story, but also because of the people who have been involved with it all along the way. So where are these marketing leaders now? And how have they gone on to take the world of marketing, brand, and content marketing a little differently because of that experience with shows at HubSpot? Well, Dave Gerhardt is CMO now at Privy. He, of course, has built a name for himself as a top marketing leader who advocates for the power of podcasting. In fact, it's pretty likely that you know him from his days originally at Drift and that you follow him still today because of what he did there. He used podcasting as a foundation to help grow Drift into a really powerful brand. When I went to Drift, I had a really cool opportunity to work with David Cancel, and I was the first marketing person at Drift. And I just needed to get marketing content out of him. And so I just started interviewing him like with my podcast gear that I had. And I was just going to ghostwrite for him. And that, that transformed into, into us. Like he, he wasn't very good at just like being interviewed and then just having to like talk for 30 minutes. And so it became more of like I had to do an interview back and forth with him to get more stuff out of him. And that morphed into this really cool conversation about these two people at completely different ends of their spectrum and from a career like you have this proven CEO and this like no name up and coming marketing person and we ended up turning into a podcast uh, called Seeking Wisdom and so like you know really quickly in the course of a year and a half I had launched three podcasts and now it's kind of just become like a pillar of anything that I that I do in marketing because I think it's it's like having your own like if, if 20 years ago somebody said to you hey you could have your own like radio station and you really wouldn't have to pay much to do it and like if you do it right you could get thousands of your dream customers to listen to you like would you want to do that but for whatever reason people still don't seem to think of that and when they think of podcasting megan keeney anderson plays a pivotal role obviously still today at hubspot and its magnetic brand both strategically as vp of marketing where among many many other things she runs hubspot's network of shows but Also very tactically, she's building brand relationships and trust as the host of The Growth Show, which is now in its fifth year. I'm so grateful to be part of The Growth Show. I think that it's made a major difference in my own development, in uh, my exposure to different people and different stories. It I know for a fact that I've become a better thinker and writer because of those conversations. And so... It would be like, I, you know, if they came to me tomorrow and said, hey, we're hanging up shop on the growth show, I would be okay. But I would be sad because it really has enriched my own understanding of the business world. I'm a fan of the show. I would listen to the show if I weren't hosting it. And I think that's really what you're trying to achieve is if you make a show that you feel adds value um, to your own life, that's a pretty good indication that it's going to add value to somebody else's. Sam Balter has taken his experience from managing the marketing strategy of HubSpot's podcast to now being Zoom Info's director of editorial content, where I would be willing to bet, at least I hope, that he's going to do something there in the way of shows very soon. And Ellie Merriman went on to lead marketing at Toast and now is the CMO at Cran. But one thing that she took with her from HubSpot was approaching content in unique ways to create exceptional experiences for the audience. 
It just shows that there are a lot of different types of ways to create content. You know, I'm a big fan of blogging and I've always, that's always been one of the first marketing initiatives I put in place, but the universe of content marketing and content creation is just so broad. And so there are a lot of opportunities and especially now where everybody has a blog, it's that much more important to branch out and, and do something unique. And I think the other thing that it taught me was that you don't need to have other examples out there. And in some cases, it's even better if your, say, competition is not doing those things because it's an opportunity for you to be that much more unique and to have a, a platform that others don't have. So it's just a good reminder to just think in unique ways and try new tactics and make sure to, to give them a real solid chance. I think one of the things that's really important with serial content that that taught me is it's not about just doing one show, you know, one episode. It's really about you're going to take on this effort for a significant amount of time to be able to see the real results. Because honestly, that first episode, and the same way that the first blog article that you published, it's not going to be the be all end all. It's really about the series long term. And so you need to commit to it. And that's where the real magic happens, where you start to see the results on the brand and any other marketing metrics that you're looking at. So think about it as, you know, a real initiative that spans over a period of time, because that's where where you really start to see the results. Gene Hopkins is now Chief Revenue Officer at Squad Locker and has harnessed the power of podcasting at several other brands, including collaborating again with Mike Volpe in binge-worthy podcasts at Lola.com. When I ended up going to Lola and we were going to do this Agile Operations uh, Summit um, in November of 19, and I joined uh, the company in October of 18, so we knew a year from then we were going to do this. So we decided to batch uh, Mike Volpe's podcast into one Agile Op. So we, and then we do a drop, like a Netflix drop of six of them. So he had interviews. He interviewed Karen Rubin. He interviewed um, Jessica Meyer. He interviewed, he interviewed a bunch of people. And then I bought Road Warrior Radio Domain.com for Ryan Ball. And he had, knows a bazillion people. And so he was recording every other week. He was doing that recording on uh, talking to all these other people. And so we were on with the sales lead management organization and we were on with that one every Thursday, every other week. And then I was doing another one called Table Fries because I like to share. And uh, I love that. That's so cute. And it was for the women of Lola, connected to Lola. And I had a series of questions. And the reason I was doing that was that most women that I know that are in engineering positions, finance positions, different positions within an organization, never have the opportunity to speak. They don't have the opportunity to speak on a podcast, on a webinar, in front of a group. And I wanted to break through that to give these people a chance to be able to say, you know what, you know a lot about a lot. And, and you want to be able to kind of break through that. And by using kind of the same format about like, how did you end up at Lola? And everybody has a great story. And what was your least favorite job? And, and it's like usually involves food service on some capacity. Yep. Mm-hmm. Almost always your least favorite. I feel like that needs but, to be a life requirement. Yeah. What was the last book you read? What would you recommend? You know, different things that, and people, once they realized it was totally freaked out every single, I'm so nervous. And, and that, but to be like, oh, that didn't hurt. I, there was no blood involved. And mm-hmm. like, see, it was just a conversation. We'd record it. I'd be across from them. And they would love that. And it became 
a personality thing for us at Lola. And so between the Road Warrior and the Table Fries and then Mike Volpe's drops of um, Agile Ops, Mike Volpe, of course, has continued to include podcasting in his strategies as CMO and now even as CEO. At Lola, we've tried to do a good job of connecting with finance professionals because that's who we sell to. So we do travel, like expense management, like related things. And our key buyer is someone in the finance team. And so we needed to figure out a way, like how do we get in front of those folks? How do we gain legitimacy with that audience? Because we're a brand new brand. We're an early stage company. And one of the things that I did was I started a podcast called the Agile Operations Podcast. Sort of, I'd say it's, it's similar in theme to like the growth show, which is that we wanted to connect with CFOs and CEOs on the topic of making their companies internally operate more in a more agile way, faster and easier so that they can enable more growth and more innovation and getting sort of all the internal obstacles out of the way. And so we found some cool, interesting folks that had from a finance perspective or an operations perspective, done things a little differently within their companies. Um, and so that's what we've been doing there too. So it's, I think it's one of those, I don't think there's one format or formula for what a successful podcast should be or needs to be. It's an interesting technology, but you can use it in a lot of different ways if you think about it and get creative with it. So is podcasting that magical of a vessel? So versatile that it connected all these individuals and inspired them to continue the practice in the rest of their roles over the last 10 years? Or maybe there's something special and magical in the water at HubSpot's headquarters in Boston. I like to think it's the versatility and, okay, maybe a little bit of magic in podcasting. They let you in on an intimate conversation and give you the ability to get to know the voices behind the business, which is ultimately what makes a brand great. You've heard from all these amazing people about the role podcasting and shows have played in their HubSpot history and the HubSpot story, but also how harnessing conversations, interviews with experts, has been a foundational piece of the brands and the strategies they've worked on and the careers they've built. Well, dear listener, we've come to the end of this journey, but it's really just the beginning when it comes to the amazing stories of our guests today. Because you know what? Lucky for you, this show is a conglomeration of clips pulled from several interviews, several episodes that we're running on the Casted Podcast as episodes in season four of our podcast. They're incredibly interesting and independent of each other, and they all come together to tell this story. But just wait until you hear the independent stories of each individual here. They're part of a series of interviews with marketing and business leaders focused on the role that podcasts play in their overall brand and business strategies. So don't stop here. Visit us at casted.us slash inbound for access to the full interviews and a whole lot more extra content that you will not want to miss.